Hi, I'm Josh Shearer and I serve as the lead pastor here at Gawley Uniting Church. I wanted to personally thank you for joining us today. We exist as a church to see lives transformed with the good news of Jesus. Now, I hope this service inspires you. I hope it blesses you. I hope it builds your faith and I hope it gives you perspective that God is moving in your life. If there is anything that we can do to help you, don't be afraid to reach out on social media or email our office. Thanks for joining us again and let's get to the service. Loving and gracious God, we thank you that we can open your word this morning. Open our hearts and our minds to receive what you have for us. Give us the courage to look into our lives and see where it is we can live more like you. Give us the grace to receive what you have for us. And Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart will be pleasing in your sight, O Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, a few years ago, there was a, um, a very famous TED Talk. Um, if you're not familiar with TED, it's a, um, I suppose it's a movement of, uh, of present presenters that, that get up and they talk about, in short, pithy um, uh, sort of presentations, quite unlike my sermons, which are less short and pithy than perhaps we would like. Um, and they talk about specific ideas, transformational ideas of renewal and of human flourishing and all sorts of different things. So around psychology and all, it's a secular thing. But one of these TED Talks was, became quite famous by a social uh, analyst by the name of Simon Sinek. And Simon Sinek, um, he wrote a book called Start With Why. And I've talked about this before, but I thought it'd be worth mentioning again. Yeah, he wrote a book called Start With Why. And the basic premise of his book and of this TED Talk, which is, I think, one of the most watched TED Talks ever, um, millions, tens of millions of views, the basic premise of the book is that why, why, is more important than how or what. In the life of an organization, in the life of a person, the, the why is more important than the who, the how, or the what. If we know why we exist, we are better able to determine what we will do how we will do it, and who is going to be involved along the way. If the why is clear, in many ways the other things take care of themselves. And one of the other things that we have discovered about a why, and it's perhaps that much more obvious and, and, and fresher in our minds over the last 18 months, two years, has been that when we have a clear why, it enables us as an organization, in this case for us as a church, to be more agile about what it is that we choose to do and how it is that we're going to do it because we were reminded very quickly or confronted, I suppose, very quickly as this COVID pandemic started was that we weren't able to meet the way that we had been used to for hundreds, thousands of years as the Christian church. And so we were confronted with a blockage to our what and to our how. And so it made us go back to our why. Why do we meet? Why do we do it? 
What are we hoping to achieve? And, and, and when we answered that question, when that was clear in our minds, then it became far more freeing to explore how we might go about doing that. We did church online. Some of us spent a lot more time watching a screen for work, to engage with family, because the why of connecting with people, the why of proclaiming and setting aside time at the beginning of our week to declare God's goodness and love and grace, to sing praises to Him, that's the why and the what could be different. Now, that, that, that doesn't mean that it isn't without changes, don't come with a bit of pain and a bit of discomfort. We all know that. But the why can really matter. And you would know, if you've been around for any length of time in this church, that we have a why as a church. It's why we exist. It's why God has called us to be in this season of the life of Gawley Uniting Church. And the why we exist is that we exist to see lives transformed with the good news or the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the why of our presence in this community. And that transformation happens not it happens for individuals, for those of us that are followers of Jesus. There's a transformation that happens as we get to know God and we get to know the way that God's calling us to live as followers of Jesus. It transforms Christians. There also there's a transformation for non-Christians of discovering the hope that is greater than any other hope in the world through Jesus Christ and what Christ did for us on the cross. That's a type of transformation. But there's more than that. It's transformation for the township of Gawler. We believe God has called us that the greatest, power, greatest method of transformation for any system is Christ. That every system of government, of governance, of whatever, can, can find transformation through Christ. And so that our, our vision, our purpose, our why of seeing lives transformed is as much about seeing Gawla transformed with the good news of Jesus as well. And if we were to extend it even further, we would say, anyone joining us online, wherever you are, whenever you are joining us, our heart, our purpose, why we exist is to see your life and your experience of God transformed through the good news of Jesus Christ as well. That is our why. And one of my key roles as the lead pastor of this church is to steward that why, to take care of it. And, part of, and, and to steward a why is to be the caretaker. It is to keep that why front and center for our church, to keep it front and center in your minds. It's a thing that I wake up thinking about, but it's, I would imagine that not too many of you necessarily wake up thinking about the why of our church. Do you? I'll be thrilled if you do. But in my experience, you've got other whys as well in your life that need, that need to drive you and shape you around work and, and, and family and other things. And so it's my job to keep the why front and center in your life. To keep it front and center for our leadership team, our elders. To keep it front and center for our ministry life, for our congregation but also to keep it front and center for our community as well. But the thing about the why keep, is keeping the why central and keeping it front and center is actually hard. It's really hard. It's harder than I ever thought it would be. Why? Because 
Vision, a why, leaks. It leaks. It's like a bucket with holes in it. There's a great analogy for this. Is that you, when you fill up a bucket, if it's got holes in it, you don't have to fill it up once. Because there's holes in my bucket, dear Liza, if anyone knows that, a hole. And so it leaks out over time. And depending on how many holes, depending on how clear your, your systems are, depending on, on the, the other the factors of it, depends on how quickly you have to top up that bucket, that why. And so it, it means that we need to keep it front and center regularly because vision leaks. But it leaks inside and outside the organization. I'd never really thought about this, but it does. It's because the why within our organization, the what and the how begins to overtake the why naturally. Why is that? Because the what and the how are comfort-driven and the why is hopes and future-driven. It's ideals-driven. And so you and I, we like to be comfortable. We're human beings. And so when we trend towards comfort, how we do things, what we're used to, takes precedent over time. And so topping up the why in this context is really important. But something that I've been reflecting on, and this is where we're going in the series that I'm starting to preach on, is that the why also leaks in our community. I've never really thought about this too much, and you may never have either, is that we live in a world, we live in a 24-hour news cycle, don't we? So once upon a time, and some of you have never experienced this if you're young enough, but most of you that are here have, would know a time when the news was what you were given on your doorstep in the morning. And perhaps, at some point, you started to see on the news at 6 p.m. or 5 p.m. of an evening. Other than that, you had no idea what was happening in the world, true? That was the news. But we are blessed with, I would say probably cursed with, a 24-hour news cycle where you and I can access news about anything, anywhere in the world, right now at any time. And what that comes with is pressure, it comes with an inherent anxiety, but it also comes with the loss of the ability to control the narrative. So what that means is, that, and sadly, in our culture, or in the 24-hour news cycle, when, you've got, when you need to try and provide people with 24 hours, seven days a week of news, what sort of news do you need to sell to keep people's attention for all of that time. What sort of news is it? It's bad news. Bad news sells, folks. Bad news sells papers. Bad news sells headlines. Bad perspectives, controversy, negativity, all of that sort of stuff, that sells. And that is the way that our 24-hour news cycle has become not because of anyone's malicious intent, but because that's what has to get our attention now. So where am I going with that? Is that those negative voices shape people's opinions about us, about the church, globally and even locally. 
And so the vision of our church, which may have been once very clear to our community, leaks over time. And with negative voices of our media about what Christianity is about, about they see a pastor over on the other side of the world's infidelity of some sort, and suddenly all of us pastors cheat on our wives or our spouses, and then and they see one Christian hypocritical somewhere else, and then they all think everyone is, you know, judgmental and whatever. Friends, that's, if we're honest, that's what we have to contend with when it's in terms of commu- helping the community around us understand why we exist. And so to, re- so to keep the why central in the church, we repeat it. We teach about it, we give examples of it, and then we repeat it again. And, by, and just like when we're parents, if I'm honest, not calling you children, but let's keep the analogy, just like a parent, how many times do you have to tell your child to stop touching the oven, or stop poking their sister, or stop whatever? How many times? How many times? At least once more is the answer. Isn't it? How many times do I have to tell my two daughters to stop bickering? At least once more. No matter how many times it is, at least once more. And it's the same with this. That I'm going to tell you the vision. I'm going to cast the vision for you of our church until you get it, and then I'm going to say it again. Because that's what it's about. And so the why matters. But the tension of this is that a why is more than just a bunch of words. A why is an idea. It's a perspective. It's meant to capture our hearts. It's meant to transform our worldview and our understanding to what's possible, to what we ought to be doing. And so the question becomes, how do we even know if a why is working? How do we know? And I want to introduce you to a super helpful question that helps us understand if our why is working. And the question is this, what do we want to be known for? If our why is obvious in the community, we will be known for what we are for in some way. We are going to be known for something, one way or the other. And so by by knowing what we are for, will help us understand if our why is clear in the community or if our why has been clouded out by the other narratives. It tells us how others see us, but it also tells us how we see ourselves. And to help us answer this question, because this is where I want to take us today, I want you to think about what is the church generally known for? What are we generally known for, globally, locally? What is the church known for? What is the narrative of our culture? You think about that for a minute. Think about the last news article you saw, you read about a church in secular media. What are they saying about us? It's not great news. It's not even good news. Because most people, I think, when, when I talk to people in the community, they, tell, they say, church is about the church. Church is about looking after the church people, doing church things on church days, in church ways. 
Many people are more familiar with... And, and the, other, the other issue that I, I hear is that the church is known for what it's against more than it's known for what it's for. Let that sink in for a minute. The you and I is the church. Those, steward, those called to steward the gospel in the community, the greatest news the world has ever known. For some, somehow we have become known for what we are against. We are against lying. We're against that murder. We're against adultery. Most people could argue pretty well with those ones. The churches have also been known to be against abortion. Churches are also, Christians have also been known to be against gay marriage, to be against transgenderism in schools, to be against divorce. I could keep going. But we are known, are we not, as the Christian church, we are better known for what we are against than what we are for, regardless of where you land on any of those issues. And for the average person in our community, though I believe that the reason that they don't see a need for church and a need for God in their life is because they don't actually realize that we are for them. If we were to encounter someone in the street and they would assume that as a Christian, we are about us. But it, to be honest, we're actually about them. We are. Our hope is that they would discover Jesus, which has got nothing to do with us and we don't want anything from them, but we want something for them, a relationship with Christ. And so our heart is, a church, is to be a church for the unchurched. We believe that God is calling us at Gawler to be the answer to someone's prayers for their children, their grandchildren, their friend, to discover and put their hope in Jesus. Do you remember me talking about that? We believe that we're called to be that answer. But can you see the disconnect then? It leaves us with a tension, a problem. If the prevailing opinion of our culture is that people don't know why we exist, or worse, misunderstand why we exist, what do we do, but we are actually for them, what do we do to bridge that gap? What do we do? Well, I'm glad you asked. Thanks for asking. Because it's not a new problem. Because the church has wrestled with this for thousands of years. A misunderstanding of perception, a misunderstanding of who we are and why we exist. And so I actually want to, in talking about all of this, about what we are for, I want to open Scripture, now that I'm two-thirds of my way through my sermon, I want to open Scripture to Acts chapter 15. And the context of this passage is that the early church had Jewish and Gentile believers in it. If you've, if you've heard me preach about this before, the early church had Jewish and Gentile believers. Jewish believers are a part of the nation of Israel, and so they have a bunch of Old Testament laws. You know, we, we know that as all the stuff you're not allowed to do. But then we've got a bunch of Gentile believers, people who've come to faith in Jesus Christ. But they don't, they're not Jewish, so they don't actually give a rip about the Old Testament laws. They don't think they need to abide by them, particularly the purity ones. And so the debates start to swell up between, okay, so what does it mean that we are saved? So is it Jesus plus something, or is it Jesus Christ alone? And the Gentiles are saying, well, you're telling us it's just Jesus. Faith in Jesus plus nothing. And, the, and, and some of the Jewish 
um, leaders are going, well, it's Jesus plus the Old Testament law. Jesus plus obedience equals being saved. And that's, that's the tension that we've got going on in this passage. And so they have a massive discussion about it in Acts chapter 15. And this question comes back to the church in Jerusalem and they debate it and they have a huge discussion. Church leaders, James the brother of Jesus and Peter and Paul and Barnabas and all the, all, all the, the guys, the elders in the early church, they all come together and talk, what are we going to do about this? How are we going to manage this perception, this understanding, this why? And this is where we pick up in verse 7. Hopefully it'll be on the screen, but if not, I'll still read it for you. He says, after much discussion, Peter got up and he addressed the crowd. Brothers, because all the elders and that's most would have been men making this decision. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. Gentiles being anyone that's not Jewish. Peter had his own sort of moment of transformation when he realized the gospel wasn't just for Jews, it was for Gentiles as well. It happens earlier in Acts. And God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them, Gentiles, by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us, the Jews at Pentecost. And he didn't discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith, just as he did us. Verse 10, now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke, a teaching, a burden, that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear. No, we believe that it is by grace, through grace, by faith in our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved. They are saved just as we are. So what Peter stands up and he, he declares this, this truth. He says, hang on a second. Us as Jews, we failed at adhering to the Old Testament law, which is good and the best way for us to live life. We failed at that for hundreds of years. Yet somehow you think that it's helpful for these new Gentile believers to be asked to adhere to the same thing that we've failed to do for all that time. How do you think is that's helpful, Peter declares? He says, we haven't been able to do it, so we can't ask them to do it, because that's not actually how we get saved. He says, it's through grace, by Christ, and nothing else. Anything that we might choose to do to live the right ways of Jesus come from transformation, not to gain faith, not, not to gain salvation. And he continues in verse 12, he says, the whole assembly became silent as they thought about it. They listened. They listened to Barnabas and Paul begin telling about the signs and wonders that God had done in the, amongst the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James, the brother of Jesus, the head of the Jerusalem church, got up and said, brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this. It's written in the Old Testament. 
After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins will be, will re, I will rebuild and I will restore it. This is God speaking. And that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things, things known from long ago. And so James, weighing all of these things up, head of the Jerusalem church, he thinks about it. He thinks about this, this burden of all the rules, the Old Testament law. He thinks about the grace received through Jesus Christ. And what it is that they want to become the message of the early church. Are we about the rules? Or are we about the grace? Which one is it? Is it rules? Or is it grace? And he says this, it is my judgment, verse 19, it is my judgment, therefore, that we, that is the church, should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. It's not our job to oppose the rules on them, he says. Instead, verse 20, we should write to them telling them to do three things, really. To abstain from food polluted by idols, because that was offensive in the community, from sexual immorality, don't cheat on anyone, and from the meat strangled, the meat of strangled animals and from blood. Now, two of those three things are not super relevant to us in our current context, but his, his principle is simply this. He says... The message of the church is, ought not be rules. The message of the church ought not be the laws that have been a barrier for so long. The message of the church ought be, come and be one of us. We have something for you that is more wonderful than anything. And as you do, live in respect to the community. Live in harmony with one another. And the rest's going to figure itself out as you journey with Jesus. I wonder, what if that was our message? What if that was our message? Let me be clear, we've got beliefs. We've got clear doctrine, patterns of behavior, things that we will do and we won't do as a community of of followers of Jesus. But what if that central judgment of, of James was to become our, our way of being? We should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are seeking to discover God. What if it was our calling to not make it difficult for those in our community who are not followers of Jesus to be able to turn to God. Does that seem reasonable? Would any one of us want to sit there and declare, no, no, I believe it's my calling to make it my neighbor's, to make my neighbor's job of turning to Christ harder. Let's reframe it. 
Is it, do you genuinely believe that it is your job to make it harder for someone to come to faith? For make it harder to someone to encounter Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? No one's got their hand up. No one would consider it. And so the alternative is then that we are called to take away the barriers. And friends, where is this going? The biggest barrier in our culture to people coming to know Jesus Christ or stepping foot in a church is that we are known for what we are against more than we are known for what we are for. That is the biggest barrier that exists in culture today is that when someone meets a a genuine follower of Jesus, they're not repulsed because we're not repulsive people generally unless we haven't had our coffee yet or whatever that looks like for you in the morning, before 10, something like that. But we're not repulsive people because Christians aren't. If you're a follower of Jesus, we are attractive people to be around, not repulsive people, which means the message is not in our one-on-ones. The message is in the way the culture as a whole sees the church as a whole. That's the problem. And so it is our responsibility then to not make any barriers, indeed to take away any barriers, as, as far as it is up to us, to take away the barriers that are preventing people from coming to Christ. And that is being known for what we are against rather than what we are for. So let's change it. So what do we do? Well, I think, is that like any why, we need to work extra hard to be known for what we are for, rather than what we are against. And over these next four weeks, we're going to be preaching into the idea of what it means that you and I, as the church here in Gola, what would it mean for us to claim the truth and to communicate the truth that we are for Gawla, that we are for this township, that we are for the people, that we are for the flourishing of this place. Because that's the truth. We just need to remind or perhaps even inform the community around us that that is the truth. And by doing so, take away the biggest barrier that exists in our culture to people discovering faith and coming to know Jesus. And so this series, we're going to be teaching about what it means to become a movement that is for our community. Because I believe when we're called, when we're known for what we are for, it does three things. It creates common ground. Because many of you have, if we're honest, and this will be true of me, is that I have no idea how to genuinely start a meaningful connection conversation with someone about faith that I've never met before. Anyone comfortable doing that? No, no way. Not in our culture, and most of us don't have the confidence in it anyway. But what do we know how to do? 
We know how to have a conversation with someone about something that we share as, as positive, don't we? And so when we are clear that we are for our community, that there are lots of places that we want to see this community thrive, how good would it be to be able to talk about that instead? Begin there. Oh yeah, how good is it that, you know, that the market that we see on Saturday mornings up there next to the, next to the, the welcome center in Gawler, how good is it that we can go and get some fruit and veg and stuff like that? Yeah, absolutely. How good is it that, we, that we've got a, a community organization that helps people that are marginalized and poor? When we begin a conversation with what we're for, it becomes a really powerful point of common ground. And when we experience that common ground, we're able to have a conversation and build a relationship. And from that relationship, we discover God actually begins shrinking the gap between someone's perception of what perhaps the church and God is about and what it's really about which is their flourishing. And so over this series, we're going to explore a few different ways that we can be for our community. And we're going to do them together as a whole church. Because I believe that if we do this, we can transform the perception of the Christian church in this town. Do you believe that's possible? I believe it's possible. And so this week, we're going to do two things. Because we're seeking to remove the barriers that exist to prevent people from understanding the truth of God for themselves. We're going to do two things to help communicate that we are for Gawler. So on your way in, you would have received one thing. A sticker looks a bit like this. Produced by the wonderful Caitlin, who's our social media director here at the church. And what I'd love you to do this week doesn't seem like a lot, but it's going to be significant. Is if you own a car, I want you to put this on it. And I want to put it, I want you to put it either on your bumper at the back, it's a vinyl sticker, so it won't do any damage, or on the window. Or if you own a um, like a, a gopher buggy sort of thing, stick it on there. If you only own a walker that you just walk to, to and from the shops, from your house, stick it on there. And by doing so, we want to create a narrative. Provided that you are a respectful driver. So no cutting people off, no whatever it is that you might normally do. Your job is to drive respectfully. Deal? Okay, that's the first thing. And I want you to put this on your car and have it there. You have to wash your car, that's right. But by having this there, we're looking to create a narrative. And all that's going to happen is people are going to see it and go, what is that? And nothing else. What is that? What does that mean? What's that about? Who is that? What organization is that? And is there anything else there? Is it a church sticker? Is it a gospel sticker? No. It's a four sticker. 
it has a very simple message that whoever is in this car is for Gawler. That's it. And if you're feeling really brave and you've got one of these on your car and you grab coffee at a takeaway place throughout Gawler somewhere, if you're really brave and you've got a bit of, bit of financial margin or you're feeling generous because that's one of our core values, I'd love you to pay for the coffee of the person behind you in the morning. Seems like a crazy thought. But what if, if you have cash with you, or what if in the morning, when you're on your way through Macca's drive-thru, getting your morning shot of a coffee, what if when you bought yours, you bought a large latte for the person behind you? And that they will get up to the window to order theirs, to discover it's already been paid for. And they're going to look at your car and be like, what is that about? And what do they see? For Gawler. And it's going to create a narrative that they don't quite understand yet. But it's going to have them wondering, what does this all mean? So that's a, that's a Pepsi challenge for you. But the second thing we're going to be doing is we've created a hashtag. And many of you have no idea what a hashtag is. And that's okay. But if you're, if you're on social media, and if, you are, if you're all about social media or you know what it is or you know how to use a hashtag, one of the things we're going to start doing as a church, and you'll see it on every one of the church's social posts, but also what I'd encourage you to do, is that we've created a hashtag called hashtag for Gawler. One word, all caps. Hashtag for Gawler. And what we're going to do as a church is every single time that we post on social media, we're, we're using the hashtag for Gawler. And I'm going to invite you to do the same. Every time that you, you experience something positive in Gawler that you would normally post about or positive experience, sitting on the bench in Gawler looking at the, 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 um, the trees and whatever, and you take a photo of that and you want to post it online, Hashtag for Gawler and nothing else. And what I believe this is going to do is it's going to, it's going to begin to shape the narrative of our community. As people begin to wonder, what is this for Gawler thing about? It's going to pave the way for us to begin in the coming weeks to have some more deeper conversations about what it means for us to communicate who we are for and why it matters so much. It is my determination, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for anyone who is seeking to come to know Christ for themselves. What if we could live that out as a church? What if we could claim that narrative for ourselves as a church? What if We as the church, with the gospel in our heart, with the desire to see those we love and those in our community know that hope for themselves. What if we could be known for what we are for rather than what we are against? Let's pray, church. Loving God, I thank you. I thank you for all that you seek to do in and through this church.
I thank you for your word, the way it speaks to us. Lord, what a moment. What a moment in time. And what this is really saying is we are tired of being known for what everyone else says we are known for. Instead, Lord, we want to be known for what is really in our hearts, which is that we are for our community. We are for people's lives being transformed with the good news of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we believe that by your sovereign grace that we can reclaim the narrative of the church for the town that we have been called to serve. So, Lord, would you give us courage to figure out how to do this? Would you give us the courage to ask for help if we can't figure out how to put this sticker on our car? Would you give us the courage to just take a step in this direction? Help us find the margin to buy a coffee for someone. To tag for Gawler in a social media post, something like that. It feels so tangible, but Lord, we believe that you call us to be an active and present people. So help us to know what to do with this. But above all else, help us to, in our personal journeys, remember that truth that we ought not make it difficult for anyone that is seeking to come to know Because at the very least, that is our calling as followers of Jesus every single day. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.